four in the evening on August 28, 1957, the late and the longtime U.S. Senator Strom Thurmond from South Carolina took his place behind the podium on the Senate floor. And what he proceeded to do was he proceeded to talk for the next 24 hours and 18 minutes. Now, I assure you guys, I am not going to talk for the next 24 hours and 19 minutes, all right? Uh, but he did. Can you imagine somebody speaking for, can you imagine yourself speaking for 24 hours and 18 minutes? And what Thurman was doing is, is probably what a lot of you have heard before and you know what he was doing. He was utilizing a political strategy of debate that's called a filibuster. And this has been utilized from the beginning of America, the beginning of the United States. And what a filibuster essentially is and what it primarily is, is a way for someone to block the passage of a bill that they oppose, that they are uh, against. And so what he did was he took issue with uh, some sort of a bill that was being done for the civil rights movement. I don't know what side he sat on. I don't have all that information. And it really doesn't matter for today. What was fascinating to me is that he took that amount of time to speak about what he really felt was, was not what he agreed with. And, and along the way, what he did was he cited the Declaration of Independence, uh, the Bill of Rights. He uh, how, uh, he got George Washington's farewell address in there, and he and he recited countless other historical documents. Again, let me come back to this. If you think sometimes you're sitting here at New Heights on a Sunday morning and and you're about ready to fall asleep, that probably would have put you asleep right there, guys. So inspiring was Thurman's act that several other senators actually teamed up with him in this filibuster. And if you think 24 hours and 18 minutes is pretty impressive, they spoke their piece in this filibuster for the next 57 straight days. And that's right, guys. These guys talked endlessly from March 26th to June 19th. And do you know what the result of all their talk and all their effort was in this filibuster? The bill that they actually sought to block and the one that they voted on was passed into law anyways. Could you imagine how defeating that is after 57 days of going on and on and on? And on that June 19th, they go ahead and just vote that bill into action. And what's very obvious to me as I uh, think about that story and as I tell you that story is that these group of guys, these senators felt that their words were absolutely important. I mean, they, that they mattered, or at least the principle for speaking the words that they spoke that day or over the course of those days and weeks mattered to them. But here's my question for this morning. What if the words of a speech, what if the message really did matter? I mean, what if the speaker wasn't just stalling? What if the speaker wasn't just rehearsing lines? What if the message is one of good news that's concerning life and death for all of humanity? That's the way that the church itself operated from the very beginning. And I believe that it can, and I believe that it should do the very same thing today. Where every Christ follower, every person who sits on a pew on a Sunday morning is passionate and invested in telling the greatest news of all. I say it around here a lot, guys, and I hope you catch me saying it, but guys, we don't just have good news. We have the greatest news ever. And we, we're invested, we're passionate in telling that good news because we absolutely believe that it matters. Not, not that we say that it matters, not that we, we come here and we, we just kind of give lip service to that, but that we really and truly in our heart believe that it matters for us to spread the good news. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, you have your phone around you somewhere this morning, Acts chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, and we're actually going to read quite a bit of scripture this morning, but I'm okay with that, and I hope you're okay with that, because we need to read this kind of entire section to get the full picture of what's going on. 
And it's kind of interesting. A few weeks ago, we started this series rebrand, and we were talking about uh, generosity and how the church should be generous in the way that it lives life. And we talked about the believers sharing their possessions, that there was no one in need. And we come past a story at the beginning of Acts chapter 5 that's about Ananias and Sapphira, uh, about they how were they, were they were stingy, they were not generous with their giving. And then we come to this point in Acts chapter 5, starting at verse 12, where it talks about the apostles healing many people, the miraculous works that they did. And it says this starting in verse 12. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. That's a really interesting line to me, by the way. Don't, don't skip over that. No one dared to join them because they feared for them li their lives and what the Roman officials would do or even what the Jewish officials would do to them. But everybody respected uh, the Christians, is what it says. When, uh, oh, oh, that that would happen in our day, guys, that people would respect us, even if they don't want to necessarily be uh, in attendance with us. It says, yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. Crowds of both men and women were told back over in Acts chapter 4 that by this time there are at least 5,000 men, probably more than that because there are women and children. The, the, the church is growing at a rapid pace. It's ballooning uh, beyond belief. So as a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as they went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. And then this is where I want to kind of zero in on for this morning. That was kind of the setup for what we're going to talk about this morning. So as a result of what's happening here, the church is, is ballooning at a rapid pace. People are being healed. Some amazing and miraculous things are happening. Supernatural things are happening. And then it always happens when the word of God starts spreading, what happens? Opposition. Specifically, opposition in this, in this case from the high priest and officials. It says the high priest and his officials who were Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and they put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. Then he told them, go to the temple. This is, such, this is the important line of the whole section here. Verse 20, Acts chapter 5. Go to the temple and give the people this message of life. And so at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple as they were told, and immediately they began teaching. When the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone, so they returned to the council and reported the jail is securely locked with the guards standing outside, but when we opened the gates, there was no one there. Guys, this happens time and time again in the book of Acts where somebody's put in jail and miraculously they're freed. So when the capital, captain of the temple guard and the leading priest heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple, and what are they doing in the temple? They're teaching the people. They're preaching. They're spreading the word. They're speaking the word of God. The captain went with the temple guards and arrested the apostles again, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Then they brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. Didn't we tell you never again to teach in this man's name, he demanded. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. 
But Peter and the apostles replied, and I, I believe, guys, this is what we should have in our hearts as well. We must obey God rather than any human authority. Guys, the question really here at this point, the question should never really be how long should we talk? Or what should we talk about? The question that we should ask ourselves constantly is how can I ever stop? How can I ever stop speaking about what Christ has done for me? In fact, it's a, it's a line that comes from Acts chapter 4. And if you're in your Bibles or you have your phones there, you just have to look back a chapter. Acts chapter 4, 18 through 20, Peter and John have been put before the council, even before they're in Acts chapter 5 here, and they're told, hey, stop speaking. Stop preaching about this Jesus guy that you talk about. And it says, so they called the apostles back in, and they commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Sounds very familiar to what we just read in Acts chapter 5. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? It makes no, it's, it's no mistake to me that that was a line that Peter and John had in their minds. We're not going to obey you. We're going to obey God. And then they add this line in that we've not read yet. In verse 20, it says, we cannot stop telling about everything that we have seen and that we have heard. Guys, here's the deal. A 57-day filibuster is pretty impressive. For guys to stand up there 57 days on end without much pause at all to defeat something that they thought uh, they didn't agree with and they thought was very important, but on an even greater level, the teaching and the preaching and the speaking that was started in the church 2,000 years ago is a 2,000-year-old speech. It's still going on today. The very same thing that Peter and John and Paul and the rest of the apostles, as they spread Christianity across the Roman Empire and across the world, it's still something that we're a part of today. It hasn't ended. And here is what I want you to see from the, the get-go this morning is this, and I told you I was going to reference this. God's word cannot be stopped. God's word cannot be silenced. God's word cannot be stood against. It doesn't matter what the conditions are outside. It doesn't matter what the social conditions are, what the political conditions are. God's word never ceases to change people. Continue on here in Acts chapter 5 from where we stopped and Peter said, we are not going to obey you. We're going to obey God. Picking up in verse 30, it says this. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. And when they heard this, the high council was furious. It says they were early, they were jealous, they're furious and they decided to kill those who were speaking, Peter and John, the apostles. But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. And then he said to his colleagues, men of Israel, take care what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was a, fel uh, a fellow, Theodos, who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed and all of his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got the people to follow him, but he was killed too, and all his followers were scattered. So my advice is, leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing 
these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You will not be able to silence them. You will not be able to stop them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. And then catch this in verses 41 and 42. The apostles left the high council moping. No, it doesn't say that. The, 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 the apostles left the high council discussing on how they should probably be quiet and not say anything else. No, no, it doesn't say that, actually. So the apostles left the high council rejoicing. And rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day, every single day, every moment of every day, in the temple, from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. Guys, I, I want you to catch the very end of that whole section there, the whole part of Acts chapter 5. These guys would not shut up about speaking God's word even after they were being flogged. And guys, this isn't just a simple whipping or a simple slap on the wrist. The word actually here used means to flay or to skin a person. I mean, guys, these guys were beaten in a way that their back was laid open and they were severely bruised. And what's their response to that? It says they left the high council rejoicing. Now, guys, these guys are either wackadoo or they are deeply convinced of what they're speaking about. I prefer to believe the latter, that they were absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt convinced that what they were speaking was the most important thing that they could be doing. Guys, but I want you to think about it for just a minute, though. We are often so tentative, we're often so hesitant to share the very same news that these guys had a chance to share. We're hesitant, we're tentative about that. The same news that they could not stop talking about. And yet, what's the worst thing that could happen if we speak the name of Jesus Christ? I mean, maybe we'll be rejected. Maybe we'll be laughed at, or maybe we'll be mocked. Maybe we'll lose our status. Maybe we'll lose our jobs. But beaten, flayed, skinned, alive? No. I, I want to zero in on the last verse of Acts chapter 5, and it says this again in Acts 5.42. Every day, every moment, in the temple, from house to house, they continued to teach and preach the message that Jesus is the Messiah. They were speaking in two locations specifically. They were speaking in the temple and they were speaking from home to home. And now this may not seem like much of a revelation to us where like, you, you may be asking yourself, why in the world did you highlight verse 42 again? But that verse right there is more important than we would initially give it credit for. I mean, considering the size of Jerusalem at this time, and Jerusalem is not a, a massive bustling city. It's maybe 20,000 people, slightly over that. The number of believers, as I told you earlier, has swelled to 5,000 at least, that's not even including women and children, there likely, guys, wasn't a neighborhood, there wasn't an area in all of Jerusalem where the church wasn't meeting, where the word of God wasn't being spread. Again, like I said earlier, two Sundays ago, we talked about the generosity of the church. We talked that, that, that every one of them in the early church shared everything that they had all the time. I can boil everything in those two verses down to just two words. As the church, guys, we give. We give. And today I want to talk about the truth that not only do we give, but we speak as well. That's what we're going to talk about today, of the, the fact that we as a church speak. We should speak. And to get even more specific, we speak all the time. We speak every day. 
and we speak everywhere that we have a chance. Guys, every day is a day for speaking on behalf of Jesus. All the time is the right time to share your faith with those around you. Everywhere is the exact place where you need to speak up, where you need to share your faith and share the message that the early church and the apostles spoke. Jesus is the Messiah. As Christians, guys, we, we are called to speak. Guys, some of us have an official voice in the church. I'm a guy here sitting today in front of a camera, and there are some of you that are listening. It's an official voice in the church. We may be a preacher, a teacher, we may be a leader, but most of us here this morning, most of us listening this morning, most of us who watch this video never find ourselves in front of an audience in the traditional sense. We're not going to be up on a stage in front of the church. And while our audiences may differ, differ for all of us, all of our times and places may be varied that we're called to speak, we need to be convinced that adding our voice, and you need to be convinced that adding your voice to the conversation is necessary. You have to do it. Why? Primarily, and this is where I'm going to kind of just let it sit this morning, primarily because it was Jesus' mission. There's something that fascinates me in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1. I always come across this verse, and I'm just fascinated by it. Jesus is in the beginning of his ministry, and, he, and like he is slammed in his ministry. I said a lot of times, Jesus was the busiest guy this world will ever know. But he, he retires, and he kind of pulls away from his ministry that he's doing, and the apostles come to him, the disciples come to him, and it says before, in Acts chapter 1, verse 35, it says, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said this, listen, doesn't this sound like the, the, the phrase of our day? Everyone is looking for you. Don't you ever feel that in your life sometimes? They're like, everybody needs something from you. Kids need something from you. Spouse needs something from you. Friends need something from you. Coworkers need something from you. Boss needs something for you. And then listen to what Jesus says. This is fascinating to me. Jesus replied, we must go on to the other towns as well. And I will, listen, what did he say? I will preach to them. That is why I came. It's Jesus' mission. And just as Jesus recognized his mission, he has commissioned each of us as his followers, as his believers, to be witnesses for his kingdom. Guys, in the church, as the church, we all, not me speak, we all speak. Every person who has placed their faith in Christ has a testimony. I believe it. If you have given yourself to Christ, you have come to faith in Christ, you've been baptized into Christ, you have a testimony and a story about how God and how about Jesus has changed you, and that has made all the difference in the world. And because of that, we are compelled to speak. I want to read a passage from, or a couple of verses from Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet in the Old Testament, and he had a moment where he came to the realization that no matter what I try to do, I cannot hold God's word into myself. In fact, Jeremiah had a really big problem with God because he says, God, here's the deal. Every time I speak this word, something happens to me. People laugh at me. I get ridiculed. I get you know, threatened. And he says, I don't want to speak this word anymore. But he says in Jeremiah 20, verses 8 and 9, when I speak, the word burst out. Violence and destruction. That was really Jeremiah's message. It's not a very lovely message. Violence and destruction, I shout. So these messages from the Lord have made me a household joke. But if I say that I'll never mention the Lord or I'll speak in his name, his words burn in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I'm worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. 
Guys, if we truly know Christ, we can't help but make him known. Because God has spoken, because God has acted, we can speak. All of our efforts to speak, all of our witnessing is only as effective and strong as the God who is behind our words. And thankfully, we have a God who is worth all of our words. You guys remember when you were growing up, and maybe you still play the game, I'm really not sure, but there, there's a game uh, I used to play, and I used to play it specifically with my siblings growing up. It was called Psych. You guys ever played that one before where you try to convince somebody that you have something really great for them, and then as you give it to them or as you promise it to them, you say the words what? Psych is not really true. Guys, here's, here's the thing. God, God never pulls a psych moment on us. What he says, he does. When God speaks, something always happens. What about the first great act of Scripture? I mean, the Bible doesn't even hardly open. We're three verses into it, and God speaks, and what, ha- what happens? What does it say in Genesis 1, chapter 3? Let me get to it here real quick. I'm going to read it because it's so very important. God speaking at the very beginning. God said, He spoke, let there be light, and there was light. I believe there's a, probably a different version on there for you, but you get the idea. Let there be light. There was light. That's the first great act of all creation. The first great faith expression And all ascription happens because God speaks. God speaks to Abraham and says, go, leave your family, leave your homeland, and go to a place that I will show you. And so what does Abraham do? It says he he goes as God tells him. Guys, the hope of all the world is introduced to us as God speaks. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, a very famous scenario, familiar scenario In Jesus' life, 3.17 says, after he was baptized by John in the Jordan, a voice from heaven said, spoke, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Every great act in the Bible is because of God's word and the words that we are given. Everything is sustained. Everything moves by the words of God. We speak because God has first spoken. And let's get this straight. When we speak God's word, we're only ever seeking to imitate and to illuminate God's words. We're not trying to get people to hear our words. We're just trying to give them God's words. But let's swing back to the book of Acts for a moment. And this is really fascinating to me. If you look at the whole of Acts, not just Acts chapter 5 or where we've been in Acts, but all of the book of Acts, approximately 20% of Luke's text in the book of Acts is dedicated to addresses, or messages, people getting up and speaking to an audience or a crowd or a group of people, speaking in Christ and speaking about Christ. Primarily, it's from Peter and Paul, but if you were to add Stephen's speech in Acts chapter 7 into that number, which is actually the longest message and address in the book of Acts, the whole number comes up to 25%. 25% of the book of Acts is made up of addresses and speeches and people speaking in the name of Christ. Guys, it's remarkable to me that nearly a quarter of the book of Acts, a foundational book for the church, is centered on the word or the messages of people about Christ. I don't think it's any mistake that that happens, guys, because the message is the mission. The mission of the church is its message. That's why the message should be central whenever we gather, whenever we come on to Facebook Live here and listen uh, to some guy drone on. It's not, it's not my message. It's not the time that I have on stage. It's not the time that I have before a camera. It is the message of the gospel, one of hope, one of redemption 
Guys, the gospel should saturate everything that we do as a church. It should saturate every moment that we have as individual believers. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, how in the world do we remain faithful to this message? How in the world do we speak faithfully all the time? I mean, do we, do we need to dress the story up? Do we need to put a new spin on the story? Does the gospel need a rebrand? That's a, that's a series that we're in talking about. Does the church, does the gospel really need a rebrand? Guys, this much is clear to me. As I read specifically here in Acts 5 and all over Scripture, just like the early believers, we must focus on Jesus. Acts 5.42 again, Jesus is the Messiah. It is. Uh, here's a question I think sometimes. Is, is it possible that we've walked so far away from the gospel? Is, this, is, it so, is it possible we've walked so far away from that we just need to refocus our attention on the central message of the gospel? Jesus. It's impossible to preach the gospel without proclaiming Christ. Instead, another way, any message does, that does not exalt, that does not proclaim who Christ is, is not the gospel. That is the essential element of the gospel, that we speak Christ. I love this uh, part in Romans. Romans chapter 10, it talks about this idea of speaking the gospel at all times and in all ways. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15 say this, but how can people call on Jesus to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have not heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them, speaks to them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Guys, you have beautiful feet. Take the gospel wherever you go. The gospel is not good news if no one ever hears it. If no one ever hears it, if we don't say it, guys, that's, that's a simple formula. Really and truly, the gospel doesn't become good news. It doesn't become the gospel until we have proclaimed it, spoken it with our words. With the time that I have left this morning, I want to address some common obstacles to us speaking the good news because I believe that all of our minds and all of our hearts and the deepest parts of us, we think to ourselves, this is all great and well and fine, Ryan, but I just don't believe that I can do it. I don't believe that I can speak the word of God. And I want to show us how God's truth allows us to overcome and to demolish those obstacles that we have in our life when it comes to speaking the gospel. And to help us to see those obstacles and how they show up in our life and how they're overcome, I want to use a story of a very famous Bible person, Moses himself. Moses has the very same questions that we often have in our lives. He specifically finds himself before God, and he's commissioned to speak to the Israelites. We're going to be in Exodus 3 and 4 for just a little bit. I'm going to take a drink because I need to. Obstacle one, guys, that we often have in our lives, I think is honestly the one that most of us feel, is this. I feel unqualified. I am unqualified. Exodus chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, Moses says this. Or God says to Moses, now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God. Guys, listen to this. This is the line. Who am I? You may be feeling that yourselves this morning. Who am I? I'm just a just an average old Joe in Connersville, Indiana. Who am I? Moses said the very same thing. Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered him by saying this. I will be with you. The one of the most common phrases that God uses in the Bible to reassure us. And this is your sign that I'm going to 
uh, that I'm the one that's going to send you. And he gives him a sign. I want to go on to verse 13 here and read. It says, Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and I tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me, they will ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? So what, is it, what are the questions that he asks? Who am I? <clears throat> what should I say? Guys, here's the deal. The message that we speak is not built on anything that's inherent in us. Not because we're so cool and we're so awesome and we're so eloquent with our words. It's not our ability. It's not anything that we do. As we speak, guys, it should be evident that our best strategy is to brag on God. Step out of the way and let God do His thing. He's the one who does all the work. And what does he say? I will be with you. I will do this. He's the one who deserves all the credit. His power alone makes all things possible. God has made us wise through Jesus. We've been made righteous through Jesus. We're holy and saved through Jesus. Do you catch a pattern I'm going with here, guys? Through Jesus. All that we have is from and it's through Jesus. What in the world could we possibly brag about? What in the world could we possibly bumble and mess up? It's God who has brought this message. Who is this message? How could we possibly feel anything but weak? But that's actually the beauty of this entire truth, guys. Because despite our hesitations, despite our doubts, we speak in our weakness. We do it even in spite of our weakness. Behind every word that we don't know how to say or we don't think that we can say is a power that is absolutely untamable. And here it is, guys. It is the power of the cross. That is the power that's in us. God, it says in Scripture that the very same uh, power that rose Jesus from the dead is the very same power that's in us. In the power of the cross, we can speak powerfully even in our brokenness. Let me, let me say it this way, very simply. I wish Dan was still in here. This is this. Oh, he is right there. This is for Dan Milborn, guys. Let me say it this way and boil it down. Our, our job is not to, to write the letter. Guys, the results are up to God, but we do have a part to play, and that's simply to deliver the mail. There you go, Dan. Dan. That, that's for you, buddy. Just deliver the mail. We do not write the letter. We just deliver the mail. That's obstacle one. I feel unqualified. I can't possibly do this. Why would God expect me to do this? Obstacle number two, guys. What if they don't believe me? Exodus 4, verse 1. Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me? What if they won't listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? What are the words he say? What's the phrase he says? What if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? Guys, here's the deal. Very clearly, very explicitly, we speak even if no one listens. I have no idea. I don't even know who's watching right now. I mean, other than two people that are here present with me, but guess what? I'm speaking a word. I'm speaking a word, and it doesn't matter who listens. A fascinating prophet from the Old Testament is Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 7. I want you to listen to what God says and what happens in this exchange and this commission that God gives to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 2.7 again says, you must, this is God saying it to Ezekiel, you must give them my messages, whether they listen or not. And then how would you like this, by the way, if I was like, hey, New Heights Christian Church, go speak the gospel. And this is what God says to Ezekiel, but, but they won't listen. 
They, they won't listen because they are completely rebellious. I mean, how is that for like a deflation moment? Like, all right, I'm ready. I'll go speak these words. And he's like, they're not going to listen, by the way. Just want to let you know. That's pretty defeating. In fact, Ezekiel spends 25 years of his ministry with no immediate, no obvious results that people are actually hearing what he's saying. And, and oftentimes, guys, I believe that's what the way that many of us feel. I mean, we speak a gospel, we live the gospel out in our lives, but it doesn't seem to make one bit of difference to the people around us. But here's the deal, guys. When God calls us to do something, it doesn't make any difference whether we think it's making a difference. Guys, we stay obedient and we speak the word even if nobody listens. Guys, it's not our message. We speak God's word. We didn't create the words. We don't have to back them up. We don't have to accomplish them. We don't have to defend them. We are simply messengers reading the script of love that God has written even before the world began. And maybe what people know about the messenger is the biggest part of the communication. Just a couple of verses previous to what we read in Ezekiel chapter 2. Ezekiel 2.5 says this, And whether they listen, whether they refuse to listen, remember this, they're rebels. At least, he says, at least they will know that they have had a prophet among them. That's a fascinating line to me. Guys, speak. Speak the words, and at least people will know that you're a person of conviction. And they'll know that when you're around them. Here's a question, guys. Are, are you living the gospel life consistently? What, what is your life saying about the gospel? Would anything be different? Would anything be changed? Would anyone even notice something different as a result of you being there, being around them? Guys, keep speaking. Keep speaking because the God who has fulfilled every word through the prophets and his servants in the past is the very same God who is doing the thing and and fulfilling his word right now, and he's going to do that in the future in our lives I told you that Ezekiel went 25 years without so much as a hint that what he was doing was worthwhile. But God gave Ezekiel a vision towards the end of his ministry that spoke to Ezekiel what God would eventually do in in God's time, not in Ezekiel's time. Ezekiel 37, a famous kind of passage and moment in Ezekiel. He's in the Valley of Dry Bones, which is a metaphor for the people of Israel. And it says here in verses 11 through 14, God said to Ezekiel, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They're saying, we have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore, prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, oh, my people. I will open your graves of exile and will cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, oh, my people, you will know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit in you. You will live again. You will return to your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done what I said. And then this is how this section ends. Yes, the Lord has spoken. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, oh man, there is no hope. I speak and I speak and I speak and I live and I live and I live. And I am living a gospel life consistently, but it just is not resulting in anything. And I believe that God wants to speak into your life and say, I will do it in my time. Just stay obedient, stay faithful and speak. Guys, obstacle number three. Obstacle number three is this one. It really is, to me, kind of the saddest one, honestly, and it's this. I'm just, I'm just waiting for the right time. I mean, how many times have you either said that or heard somebody say that? that I'm, just, I'm not speaking about the gospel and speaking about Jesus. I'm just kind of waiting for the right time. 
Again, Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. Moses pleaded with the Lord. This is, he's come to the end of his rope, Moses has. He says, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I've never been. I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. What, what does he say? I'm, I'm not very good with words. Lord, just, just I don't want to do this. Send somebody else to do it. And what does God say to Moses in Exodus 4? Verse 12, go. I will be with you as you speak. In other translations, it says, I will be with your mouth as you speak, and I will instruct you in what you are to say. And I think God's response has something to say to us today. I will be with your mouth. I will be with you as you speak. But the second part is just as important. I will teach you what to speak. I will instruct you in what you are supposed to say. Guys, for God to be able to teach us, we have to be willing to learn. And to learn, we have to listen. And to listen, we have to be in God's presence continually. As we can't ever cultivate a message if we aren't close to the one who is trying to communicate that message to us. And if we are going to be faithful proclaimers of the gospel, we have to be intentional. And most importantly, or just as important, we have to be urgent. And that's the last thing I want to talk to you about this morning is that we speak with urgency. Guys, with Moses, there is hesitation. There is uncertainty all along the way. But we need to seize the opportunities when they present themselves to us. All of the opportunities that we have to speak the gospel are just divine arrangements. That's all they are. By the Holy Spirit, Him showing up and arranging events and circumstances in our life that we could never possibly concoct on our own. Acts chapter 3 is a great example of that. Peter and John, or uh, again, are going to the temple. And, and there is no indication in this moment that they're doing anything than to go be good Jews and go to the temple and to pray at midday. But along the way, they meet a man who is crippled, who has been there, and he gets put there every single day for years upon end. And this guy asked Peter and John, hey, give me some money. I need to get something. And Peter and John, Peter says to this man, he says, I don't have any silver and gold. I don't have any money to give you, but I have the most important thing to give you. That's the word of God. And it, and it says that he grabbed a hold of this man. He healed him instantly, it says. Immediately this man comes up, a man who had been lame probably most of his life, several years of his life. People had seen this man at the temple every single day begging for money. And in one moment, he hops up and he is transformed by the healing power of Jesus Christ through Peter. And it says all the people saw that and they began to praise God. They saw this man. They're like, this is the guy who has sat there for years and now he's doing this. And it says they were astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. And then in Acts 3, verse 12, I want to highlight this area. Don't miss this. Because we could get really excited about this whole scenario. Like a guy who was not, you know, was lame. He's now healed. He's jumping around. Yeah, everybody's going wild about this. And we would tend to overlook verse 12. And it says this, Peter saw his opportunity. Peter saw his divine moment that had been orchestrated by God. And it says he addressed the crowd. And as a result of addressing the crowd, that's what adds even more people to the faith. And here's what I get in that whole story of Peter and John. Again, they were just going to the temple. They were just going there to pray. As they were pursuing God, as they were pursuing the things of God, they saw an opportunity 
and they spoke. Guys, do not miss the opportunities that God lays before you in your life. And here's what I want to say as I'm closing today. Those who have been spoken for, that's us as Christians. We have been spoken for. We speak up. Guys, God has put his claim on us. 1 Corinthians 7, 23, the very first part of that simply says this. God paid a high price for you. Guys, have you experienced the goodness of God? I believe that you have. I have in my life. We speak good news because we have experienced that goodness of God. Do you believe in the truth and the power of the gospel to transform life and to transform lives? We speak the good news because we know the truth of that good news. Guys, we speak good news because every day is a day for good news. There's a book that I had been reading the last couple of weeks, and it's really a fascinating one, talking about this concept of speaking all the time. It's called We Speak. It's, it's not terribly original, right? We Speak. And it says this. There's a line, and I want to close with this this morning. The story we tell is a story that lasts. It's the only story that matters. This message is truth in an age of talk and an age of babbling, and this message has been entrusted to us, to you, to me, to the church. And so, guys, we'll never stop speaking and talking about it. We, we can't stop telling about everything that we have seen and that we have heard. Guys, let me end this morning by saying a word of prayer for you and for us and for the church as we have this awesome responsibility to speak the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, do indeed thank you for Oh, just the responsibility and, and the task that you have given to us to speak. And I pray that you would be with us in that. And, and here's the great thing, Lord. You have promised us that you will be with us in the very scary moments when we don't know what to say. We don't know how to say it. We don't know how to get that information across, Lord. But I just pray that we would just release ourselves and the importance of ourselves and we would grasp a hold of the importance of you. And that you've already spoken this word, Lord. We are just simply transmitting it. We are simply just conduits for this word to get out to the world. And Lord, we with, with, with every ounce of seriousness and urgency in our lives, Lord, we would be people who speak the word that Jesus is the Messiah, that you, Lord, are the Messiah. Be with us. Empower us through your spirit to do this. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. Guys, your homework for today, I know, really lame that I gave you homework, but here's, here's it. Here's how I'm going to sign off today. Go today and speak a good word. I don't know if that's to your spouse, to your family, to someone you need to send a text to, but speak a good word today that will be an open door and an opportunity for you to speak the gospel in somebody's lives. You guys have a great day. Be safe, be warm, and we really hope to see you soon.